0: Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. The Ringer is launching a new podcast from the guys who brought you a family barbecue called Baseball Barbecue. Hosted by Jake Mintz and Jordan Schusterman, they're bringing you the good, the bad, and the utterly bizarre corners of the baseball world and everything that makes it special. Throughout the offseason, they'll dive into the rabbit hole on some of their favorite fascinations from the home run derby to baseball brawls and much more. Once the season returns, they'll break down the latest MLB news and developments. You can subscribe to Baseball Barbecue on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Let's not stand on ceremony here, Mr. Wayne.
2: I'm Sean Fennessy.
0: I'm Amanda Dobbins.
2: And this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about a man who did not adopt the darkness. I'm talking about someone who was born in it, molded by it. He didn't see the light until he was already a man. By then, it was nothing to him but blinding. I'm talking, of course, about Tom Hardy. The 42-year-old British-born actor is one of the few movie stars of his generation who is constantly seeking new ways to upend the very term. Few stars take on more strange, unnerving, and sometimes ill-considered choices than Hardy, which is one of the reasons we love him so much. This week, he stars in one of the precious few major releases for adults since quarantine began, Josh Trank's Capone. In this episode, we're going to build a hall of fame to Hardy's expansive, fascinating, and very strange career, and we're joined by the bane to Amanda's Batman. Chris Ryan. Hi, Chris.
1: Speak of the devil and do sound too.
2: Hopefully that's the first of what will be many Bane imitations throughout this episode. Guys, we have a lot to say about Tom Hardy. I, I want to start this conversation by talking just a little bit first about the movie Capone, which is a long-awaited project from Josh Trank in some respects. Trank is probably best known as the director of Chronicle, and then the somewhat disastrous 2015 version of Fantastic Four, and he has spent the last five years essentially residing in director jail, and his triumphant return is the story of Al Capone at the end of his life, portrayed by Tom Hardy, transforming from Tom Hardy into Al Capone. Just first take off the bat, Amanda, what what did you think of Capone?
0: It's a no for me, dog. Absolutely not. <laughs> That's I, if we have to be honest. And I, you alluded to a lot of the narrative surrounding Josh Trank in the last five years, and director jail, and uh, failed movies, and the chances that we give directors. And it's important to give people second chances. And I believe it, you know it's important to judge people on their work. And I am judging the work. This movie did not work for me.
2: Chris, what did you make of Capone?
1: I think that there was an interesting movie in there to me. You know, I, even the uh, not to spoil anything or not to give any parts away because I know it's just come out. But I, I, I thought even like the moments in the beginning of the film with a slightly more cognizant Al Capone talking about Thanksgiving, uh, I was like, this is this could be cool. This is going to be fu- this is going to be lit. And then uh, most of it is uh, an incontinent man who <laughs> is um, only able to mumble through layers and layers of what I I honestly with no disrespect to the crafts people worked on this film I thought was quite obviously just like six inches of makeup on top of him and uh, so it was pretty distracting and I think I think it was it's a tough watch you know Sean I I, want to hear your zag because I feel it coming sometimes I can just put my my hand on the rail and I can feel the fantasy zag coming so tell me why (laughs) Capone is good
2: Uh, I don't know that I'm ready to say that it's good I think Let's talk about the Josh Trank project in general. The whole what what Trank has been up to, the some of the self mythologizing that he has participated in recently, what he's trying to do as a filmmaker. I, I he really is one of these people who has a lot of consciousness about the shape of a Hollywood career. And for some filmmakers, for Quentin Tarantino, for Paul Thomas Anderson, for you know the icons of this show, that tends to lead to imitation slowly evolving into Personal vision, Trank tried to skip every step early on in his career and just become Steven Spielberg. He saw himself as very as in competition with Spielberg at a very young age. He wanted to beat Steven Spielberg to feature filmmaking, and he sort of did with Chronicle, which I think is a good movie and I think is was a creative spin on both found footage movies and on superhero movies, and is a lot darker in in a serious way than most movies that come in that format that we always talk about on this show. Fantastic Four is bad. It's well-known why it's bad. It's bad probably for reasons that are both Trank's fault and the producer's and the studio's fault. It was ill-conceived in general. It's completely hacked together and nonsensical. I understand why he sort of blew up his standing in the world and maybe he didn't totally realize what the consequences of doing that would be. Capone, to me, is not a triumphant return for Trank, but points for effort, I think he definitely made the thing he wanted to make. Yeah, he's and, been saying
1: that in the press. He's like, I understand that this is getting bad reviews in some quarters, but it's my movie.
2: Right. And and his movie is this scatological, amoral, confounding portrait of a neurosyphilitic madman. And... I, you know, there's not a lot of movies like that. I could say that there's 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 a there's a a, a boldness to the story that he's telling, and I, I I assume that he is has conflated Capone kind of losing his mind, kind of spiraling in this mansion of his own creation, to maybe some of his own personal struggles and probably how he spent some of the time in the last five years reimagining what his life could be or should be or, you know, what the good times were versus what they were, what they seemed like versus what they actually represented and whether he sold out his soul to do certain things. I, I see like the the vision that he's trying to create. I think, unfortunately, I can't fully zag because it's just a difficult and kind of unpleasant movie to watch. And it's not the kind of unpleasant movie to watch that is rewarding at the end of it or that you feel like you've learned something or that there was something more powerful than yourself. It's just kind of gross. And, and I, I I don't know, just not deep, you know, like there, it's just kind of like lacking depth. So even though I think Hardy is like super committed and Trank, you know, this, this is kind of like a pat word these days, but is kind of fearless, like him taking people's money and spending it to do this movie after already being rejected by Hollywood is kind of gutsy. And I think, I think he's basically being rejected again, even though he, he's this sort of like object of fascination amongst movie bloggers. He has now made three movies, 1.3 of which are good or interesting. And that's not a great ratio.
1: <laughs> I hadn't thought of it like that. <laughs> that's really funny. It's just,
2: it's just, it's not, it's just not a good performance track record. Amanda, what, what about it specifically did you think did not work?
0: I just actually don't think it's particularly original, or that there's a huge amount of vision. I think it's a pretty classic um, story about uh, a very knowable villain late in life reflecting back, just with extra poop. And I mean, if you think like taking a lot of money to put poop in a movie is gutsy, then sure, congratulations to Josh Trank. Like, I I didn't find it that. Uh, innovative as far as filmmaking goes. I found it to be a tough hang. We're going to talk a lot about Tom Hardy performances and and Tom Hardy's career and evolution. I, again, I do respect Tom Hardy's commitment. He shows up and he's going to do what he's going to do. But I wouldn't say it's my number one Hardy performance either. It feels a bit familiar as well. I just... I, I had seen a lot of this before, even though it is a really weird, dark, extremely physically gross movie. And and that on top of just not enjoying watching it was enough for me.
1: What's really interesting to me is that uh, Tom Hardy had planned on making a movie called Cicero, which was uh, about Al Capone's rise to power in Chicago loosely it was I, I can't remember when he had sort of started talking about this there's a lot of like if you tom hardy casting rumors are an industry unto themselves because he gets attached to a lot of stuff bond movies and beyond but you know it's pretty tantalizing to imagine tom hardy especially in the moments where capone is coherent in um in capone to imagine tom hardy playing the more traditional. Al Capone rises out of like the Chicago underworld to become like the, one of the first celebrity
2: mob bosses. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to conflate fearless with original. Like, I, I don't think that Capone is an original movie, and I don't, I don't think that this is even an original performance by Hardy. Like, it's definitely a hallmark of his to kind of uglify himself to play a character who's very unlikable and inscrutable and and frequently mentally unwell that seems to be like a hallmark of a lot of the of his biggest and best known performances i just think it it does take guts to just take people's money and just say i'm gonna just do whatever i want with it you know like it is this is like a completely uncompromised independent film production and you know the the studios that helped fund it are bronze studios which make a lot of mainstream Movies for Warner Brothers and Sony and those films get picked up there. And Lawrence Bender, who is, you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino's earliest producer who helped produce Pulp Fiction and uh, Jackie Brown and a couple of the early films. And then they tried to take this movie to market and sell it. And and no one wanted it. I mean, they they I think they finished filming this movie in 2018. They finished cutting it in 2019 and and no one wanted to buy it. And you can see why. I mean, it's a it's an hour and 45 minute disgusting portrayal of a psychotic criminal and it's not funny and it's it's just not that insightful i i do think that there's like some good filmmaking in it i don't know if that really matters at this point i do think that that especially that like 15 minute dream sequence that happens sort of later in the film w- where he's really like slipping deep into his own mania is a cool sequence i think it's like it's well done um but i
0: thought that i thought the kid at the thanksgiving table was good
2: <laughs> it's, very, it's very generous
1: I thought, of you
0: I thought she was a very good kid and Tom Hardy had real chemistry with her and,
1: and Tom Hardy plays that kid so I mean hats off to him <laughs> <laughs> Trank's a really good ideas guy uh, I thought you know if you saw his short which is maybe not totally aged well in the title department but the one that's on YouTube about the lightsaber fight at a, at a kegger that is obviously a very inventive and, and smart little idea there's tons of smart ideas in Chronicle. It's what elevates it. Even the idea of like, these guys can control cameras with telekinesis. So that's why it's still a found footage movie, but it has a little bit more of a, um, a wider cinematic palette than most found footage movies have. And even within Fantastic Four, the original pitch on that movie was that it was going to be David Cronenberg body horror about these young people going through like traumatic physical changes that eventually lead them to becoming superheroes. He has good ideas, I don't know that he is. Um, he needs to be tour. I don't know that he needs to be the sole person in charge of like the vision of what's getting to the screen. I think that Spielberg learned that too, where he was like, "I work well when I work with good screenwriters and good producers and and have some checks and balances in place." And I think that Trank is at least based on that Matt Patches piece that was in um, Polygon. It's, it's it's like obvious that he sort of sees himself as almost like a Stanley Kubrick figure of like my vision is I am the only person who knows how to get it up on screen and I must break every piece of china in this store to, to get it done.
2: Yeah, it's the the writing aspect of it is interesting. He obviously he wrote Capone and he has a, write, a screenwriting credit on Fantastic Four. He did not write Chronicle. That movie was written by the the now canceled Max Landis. Um and Capone feels like the movie that would be his second film that people would say this is kind of, this, do, this doesn't work, but there's something audacious here. Let's give him a, a bigger job. And he, you know, Trank was part of this generation of filmmakers like Colin Trevorrow, like Gareth Edwards, you know, guys who were often white guys who were guided very quickly into gigs directing Marvel movies, Jurassic Park movies. Some got to make Star Wars movies. And, and they got those gigs you know, I far be it for me to lay judgment, but most of them didn't just didn't seem ready to make movies like that. And I think all those guys
1: either got fired from quit or were replaced on a Star Wars movie. Yeah. So shout out to Kathy Kennedy.
2: Yeah. And I mean, the chickens may come home to roost on that, too, because that those were all very complicated decisions. And even, le- you know, J.J. J. Abrams, once upon a time, was a Trank-esque figure. You know, he was a guy who desperately... Modeled his career after Steven Spielberg and Ron Howard and George Lucas. Those were his heroes growing up. He tried to make big, wide stories that appealed to people's childlike sense of wonder. And, you know, JJ worked in TV for 10 years before he got his chance to really start making movies. Trank doesn't do that. And so Trank is a guy in his mid 30s who's now made three films, all of which, um, I don't know, probably came before they were due. And it's really interesting the way he's talked about Hardy throughout this press cycle he, he he's very insistent that he and hardy are now close friends and that they frequently text and play video games together during quarantine which um i that just leads me to visualize tom hardy playing video games which is <laughs> something i would like to see perhaps they could get on twitch together um hardy is a, is a weird one i mean he really is like a i don't know if we've ever done an episode about a figure like him before uh amanda would you say that you like him
0: Love Tom Hardy. Huge fan. I was trying to think about why, because he is definitely a movie star while having avoided every single type of movie star role that I love, with one notable exception, which we will be talking about at great length. You can probably guess what it is. But it's interesting. He is He's a really big deal, and he's never had that actual being Batman himself moment. He's never been the... He has actually been the guy in a rom-com and it was terrible. And we'll talk about that too. But he plays gangsters and villains and people wh- who wear masks and people where you can't understand his voice. And he is um, difficult often on screen in the characters. I think that sometimes there are stories about how he can be um, emotional or combat on set. And I, he doesn't fit into your typical like classic Hollywood guy, but he has such charisma, like such charisma. It's so powerful and has found so many different ways to use it. It is really, really fascinating to watch him find like the Tom Hardiness in every single one of these roles.
2: Chris, I feel like you've been a long time Tom Hardy person, but do you do you feel like he has lived up to, you know, the the early sense we were getting from him when he started showing up in movies like Layer Cake and Rock and roll. Like, is he did he turn out to be the performer you wanted him to be?
1: No, I mean he didn't turn out to be the performer I thought he was gonna be, but he's run so far away from that thing that I feel like it he's fully something else now. You know what I mean? You know, it's the idea of waiting for Tom Hardy to go back to the source is is kind of a fool's errand at this point because he's made more movies Where he's wearing a mask, where he's doing an accent, where he's hunched over, where he's put on a ton of weight, where he's lost a ton of weight, where he's Russian, where he's speaking like he's Daffy Duck, then he has those four or five foundational. Oh, is this guy a a Paul Newman figure? You know, is is this guy going to be this amazing male lead who is both like beautiful and deeply, deeply talented at acting? You know, I I think it's. It's notable that he is that he went to the same uh, drama school and was uh, right around the time of Michael Fassbender. And like Michael Fassbender is obviously somebody who's kind of I think we're waiting for like the next chapter of what Michael Fassbender will do now that he had a dalliance and some blockbusters. But I think everybody kind of would love like a really meaty, incredible Michael Fassbender performance. But Hardy has kind of deviated from that entirely. Like, you know, even the you know, he's never done. A truly like Oscar Bay performance. He's not, he hasn't done a lot of um, matinee idol performances outside of some of the supporting roles he's done. Almost everything he's doing is about transformation. So it's hard to, it's hard to talk about him as a movie star when he so obviously never wants to be the, the same thing twice.
2: He has this desire to be a part of huge projects but also completely obscure himself inside the huge projects. Like we'll talk about a lot of these, but, and that doesn't just mean wearing a face mask, obviously wearing a mask is a, is a Tom Hardy bit at this point, but you know, Mad Max Fury Road is in the news this week. There was an oral history in the New York times. Mad Max Fury Road is almost certainly going to make the Tom Hardy Hall of Fame. Spoiler alert in that movie. it. F- Sounds like his voice is dubbed the entire time and he seems to be giving a performance that is completely different from every other person in the movie. And even if you can see his face and he is the title character of the film, it just doesn't feel like his movie at all. And conversely, I think when he takes on supporting parts, he kind of like steals movies aggressively when he's in these smaller roles, you know, in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or Inception and a bunch of other movies we'll talk about here. And it's such a cliche to, call the leading man who has a, you know, a, a darkness inside of him, like a character actor trapped in a movie star's body. We've talked about this with Pitt in the past and a lot of other actors, but he seems to be kind of taking that conceit to the next level for some reason. Do you do you agree with that, Amanda?
0: Yeah. I mean, he has become the character actor as movie star or the movie star as character actor. I couldn't really tell you which one, but he doesn't have that central defining performance performance. He has a bunch of character roles that we have all accepted as as his like leading man body of work. It's interesting. I was thinking about him in context with like Jake Gyllenhaal who is a similar person who um is really avoiding that classic uh, Hollywood leading man role guy because of uh, what happened with Prince of Persia. And and also to an extent as Robert Pattinson who, you know, post Twilight has been picking out things for himself and they're all very different types of actors in their presence, but they do all seek out kind of offbeat weird roles now and are working with different directors and aren't doing always just down the middle franchise stuff. But those guys, like, still have to be on the cover of GQ, for example, for this week. The call is coming from inside the, the house on that one, but they <laughs> still have to be like matinee idols to an extent, even Jake Gyllenhaal a, a little bit. And Tom Hardy has somehow managed to avoid that, I guess, because he never had that central franchise role. And so he just always is the character actor on the side. But I think there must be a lot of people who are jealous of Tom Hardy's career in that way, based on what I understand actors wanting and how they want to be perceived and the way they want to be able to select their roles.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I don't know. He's been a part of I don't know, five, six, seven great movies and is certainly one of the best known people from that Gyllenhaal generation that we're talking about. You know, he's he's before Pitt, but sort of uh, or I guess he, he comes after Pitt, but before the sort of like Netflix teen idol. And so he falls into this nether zone of star that we always talk about on this show and on the rewatchables. And there is I, I don't know if there's a version of him that could be Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't I don't I don't not just because of the way that he chooses to perform, but just because of how movies are right now. But to, the, to that said, when he makes a movie, it is it has kind of become an event, even if he isn't the main character in the movie. And you know, if you look at a movie like The Revenant, he's probably like the fourth build idea in the movie. You know, if if the movie stars Leonardo DiCaprio and he sleeps inside of the carcass of an animal, that's number two on the playlist. And yeah. number three is Ena Ritu, <laughs> and then Tom Hardy comes fourth. It still is like a there's still something very memorable about what he does maybe we should just we should walk through his 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 career highlights so usually when we do a hall of fame episode we run down every significant performance that the actor has given in a movie and perhaps other things that they have done in their career hardy has been i would say medium agnostic over the years he's certainly appeared in some tv shows he's um He's had a side music career of a sort. I don't know if you guys if you guys want to discuss Tom Harvey's rapping at all.
1: <laughs> no I don't Yeah, I think we can move past that. Okay. Um let's go
2: to his first major performance then. 2001 Black Hawk Down. Does this make the Tom Hardy Hall of Fame?
1: He's he's good in this. It, it's a good example of Tom Hardy uh, doing what everybody else is doing. And he has a lot of... Uh, you can feel the magnetic pull when when Twombly's on the screen. He's really in it pretty briefly. Uh, my favorite thing about Black Hawk Down... Well, I aside from Black Hawk Down, my favorite thing about um, this year is that there's essentially these two things that happened in 2001 where... Almost every actor of this generation gets their start and it's Black Hawk Down or Band of Brothers and Tom Hardy's in both.
0: That's true. And I think also just in terms of the types of roles that Tom Hardy is going to play and the types of movies you are going to find him in for the next 20 years. It's a it's a good place setter or a good uh, starting point. It's not that big of a role, but I'm okay with like putting it in the Hall of Fame for now. And then if we got to make room, so be it.
1: I also okay. think it's it's worth noting that like who the people behind those two things Ridley Scott for Black Hawk Down and and Spielberg and Tom Hanks everybody who was working on Band of Brothers clearly like saw something in him. I mean, obviously that the, that those roles are both like the fifteenth or sixteenth and Band of Brothers it's like the twenty fifth on the call sheet, but was earmarked at a very young age to be
2: in that group of people. The next movie on the list is Star Trek Nemesis. Not sure. If either of you guys have checked this movie out, Um, (laughs) (laughs) this is one of the late period Star Trek films. Uh, You know, it features some Romulans. It's really more next generation cast. It's not a bad Star Trek movie. It's not a great one. Uh, Tom Hardy plays the leader of the Romulans, Shinzon. Yeah. Yes, Amanda.
0: Who are the Romulans again?
2: They're like worse Klingons.
0: Oh, right. Okay, thank you.
2: Yeah, they're an evil extraterrestrial race in the Star Trek okay. universe. Um man, it really just feels like Star Trek is not a part of the culture anymore, huh? People just don't give a fuck about Star Trek. Isn't That's that fascinating.
1: JJ stabbed him in the back to go do
2: Star Wars, man.
0: I liked the first JJ movie. Yeah. That was good. Yeah.
2: It was very good. Chris Pine crushed that. I don't think that, um I think it's interesting that Tom Hardy is basically the big bad of this movie, but he's in a lot of makeup. And it's very similar to Black Hawk Down. It's sort of like portending where he's going, but it was not a hit.
0: But also being the big bad in a lot of makeup in a major franchise does anticipate a lot of Tom Hardy's career. Again, I don't think we need to put it in there, but he is establishing some themes some early on.
2: Okay, we'll leave it out. The next movie that I think we should talk about, which is very interesting to me, is Layer Cake. Layer Cake is Matthew Vaughn sort of announcing himself as a stylish filmmaker after being a screenwriter and producer for Guy Ritchie. And this movie, of course, stars Daniel Craig before Daniel Craig takes up the mantle of James Bond. Now, Tom Hardy has a supporting role in this movie. He's sort of a drug dealer slash criminal working alongside Craig's character. But the reason I want to talk about it is doesn't it sort of feel like there could have been like a sliding doors moment between Craig and Hardy, you know, where they could have flipped roles. Hardy is one of the most frequently mentioned people for the role of James Bond after Craig. And I couldn't you have just seen a universe in which he got the Casino Royale version of Bond and then we're living in an alternate universe.
0: I can, though I I think we're in the right universe. Craig and Tom Hardy actually do have a lot of common in their like actual physical builds. And in their kind of stillness, they're both people who or actors who are have like a quality of like reticence and repression. A barely concealed rage or barely concealed something. And so they're kind of they're quiet, but you know that something is lurking beneath the surface. I think that if you make Tom Hardy Bond, then you just abs- like ex- Tom Hardy as Bond would be excellent, but would completely uh, explode the myth of Bond. Like he would just kind of he would point out everything that is ridiculous about it, which, you know, maybe that franchise could use, honestly, and like kind of happened with Skyfall. But I think it's hard to explode the myth of Bond and then keep making movies.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to think also consider if not him getting Casino Royale is him taking over after Skyfall. Um, he has never been particularly shy about saying that he would like to be Bond. Uh, I mean, he does some gymnastics and in interviews, but often we'll just be like, well, you know what they say? If you, if you say you want to do something, you'll never get it. So let me just say that I would always love to be in a, in a room and talk to Barbara Broccoli about the part. And I, you know, this, that this period after 2012, where he plays Bane and, and you know, obviously that's where your Skyfall comes out, but he, he does Bane and then he goes on to do Locke and Revenant and all these other sort of weird, sometimes Hollywood movies, sometimes successes, sometimes spectacular failures. It's a very strange, like, sliding doors, too, to imagine him taking over for Craig at that time. But with Layer Cake, I think that, you know, this is, a great subgenre of of British crime movie is just the like the Guy Ritchie incorporated era from 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 that from that time, and and Hardy's not in Layer Cake very much, but he's fantastic when he's on the screen, and and it's such a different style of performance than the one that you you kind of come to to know from him, which is just like super muscular and 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 built.
2: Yeah, I like the movie a lot. I feel like it's probably not meaty enough on the Hardy side to to put it on the list. Fair enough.
1: Yeah,
0: I agree.
2: Amanda, I, I got to say, I've not revisited this next movie in a long time, and I, I have no recollection of Tom Hardy being in it. But what role does Tom well, Hardy play in Marie Antoinette?
0: Happily, I am here to uh, sh- uh, share with both of you. So he is one of the people at court, one of the many people who is, you know, commenting on and judging Marie Antoinette in, in French fashion. Uh, he brings oysters to a party and they play a game of like It's not celebrity, but it's the same game they play in *Inglorious Bastards* in the basement where you put the character on your head and then everyone else has to ask questions of who they are. What is that game called? Heads Up. Is that what Heads Up? Okay. So he plays Heads Up and then he points out to Rose Byrne in it, who's just giving a tremendous performance, that perhaps Marie Antoinette, as played by Kirsten Dunst, is not following court rules as best she should. And that's kind of it. It's... I give Sofia Coppola credit because I believe in that one scene is obviously Kirsten Dunst and also Rose Byrne, Jamie Dornan, and Tom Hardy. So a good assembling of who's to come. But it, it, I I wouldn't say that this is his brightest performance.
2: Okay, so Marie Antoinette is out unless Chris wants to object to that. No, I'm okay. Chris, you're bringing kind of a Louis the Fourteenth energy right now. Like a very like kind of I, the Dauphin kind like, of thing?
0: Yeah, like... I was about to say something really inappropriate, but you guys don't remember the movie, so we'll keep it going.
2: 2008, <laughs> Rock and Rolla, written and directed by Guy Ritchie. This is a Chris Ryan classic.
1: This is a banger.
2: Speak on it. I, I, Honestly, another movie that I've seen and don't remember at all, except for having watched YouTube highlights that you sent to me.
1: Oh, because I was, I was like, remember when Toby Kebble just sang The Clash in a mirror for like five <laughs> minutes in a Guy Ritchie movie, and we were like, sure, let's do it. No, this is a... This is a good one. This one is probably Apex Mountain Draw Butler for me. Um it stars Jara Butler, uh Tandy Newton, Idris Elba's in it, Hardy, to- Toby Toby Kebbell, Jeremy Piven plays like a music producer with Ludacris and it's essentially uh it's it's basically a thinly veiled crime movie about Roman Abramovich who owns the Chelsea Football Club. It's about like a Russian billionaire Uh, you know, the usual bag of money story and uh, a lot of Russian mob and old uh, London mob clashing with each other uh, in contemporary England. So it's, it's, it's actually probably next to snatch my favorite guy, Richie crime movie.
2: Is it worthy of, of the, the Tom Hardy hall of fame?
1: Gangster Bob is a really good character. Uh, there's a lot of Bob, handsome Bob. Sorry. Handsome Bob is a very good character. Um, I think it's, it's, it's really good evidence of what could have been, uh, of Tom Hardy playing this undeniable, so, I mean, honestly, a sex symbol and a heartthrob in, in, in this movie. So he has definitely walked away from that. I would put
2: it on, on honorable mentions for sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flag it for now, and if we need to take it away, we'll take it away. Um, next up is Bronson.
1: Prison was honestly brilliant! I liked it personally. I oh, fuck that. Oh, I loved it. It was exciting. It was on the edge. It was madness at its very best. I
2: Man, I don't know if you've seen this movie. This is a very uh, severe and intense I've- Nicholas Winding Refn movie. You- you're up on it?
0: I've seen this movie. I don't live in a cave. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no one's saying you live in a cave it just I mean, doesn't really I feel like do it's do in right your now, but we all
0: do That's anyway true. yes but tom hardy is in my zone i don't i don't remember a lot of it i just i remember the conceit of this is the one where he's almost like doing a theater he he's like on a in a on a black theater stage and is kind of narrating a lot of the flashback of his life and like really going for it
2: exactly yeah. he's frequently yeah. appearing in makeup it's a total transformation by Hardy. It's based on the true life story of Michael Peterson, who renamed himself Charles Bronson, famous British criminal, bald head, large, sort of st- strongman esque mustache, and it's a very theatrical performance. It's a very kind of overmanaged in a good way. Nicholas Winning Reffin movie that I think you know this this movie sort of leads to Drive, and then the Nicholas Winning Reffin moment. This brought him a lot more notoriety than the movies that came before this. Very stylish, very very, you know, severe, very violent, very Stanley Kubrick influenced. There's so much of him pulling from A Clockwork Orange in this movie. Um, but I do think it's really the movie that got Hardy attention as a potential mainstream movie star. Would you agree with that, Chris?
1: Yeah, and also I think where it becomes like he he puts himself in the physical transformation Olympics with the other actors, like this is, I can't remember if it's exactly around the same time, but I, I believe Michael Fassbender does Hunger around this time. So you're seeing these roles where these guys are going through these complete and total physical transformations, which is always, you know, uh, good fodder for 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 praise for actors.
0: If I remember, I mean, I remember obviously the the stylized part of it and the physical transformation, but. And it is a um a violent and a startling performance, but there is still also you can locate the Tom Hardy humanity in it. it's like pretty grounded, which he hasn't fully gone into i'm wearing a mask bane you know other world that's the second half of his career and it's really effective it that's that's what's so memorable about it,
2: yeah, yeah, there's nothing shaded about it. He's literally into camera for half of the movie communicating directly with the audience, which is kind of the opposite of a lot of his performance style that comes in the next 10 years. I think it's definitely got to go, got to go in the Hall of Fame. This is worth
1: mentioning too, because this happened at a time where I don't think a lot of people were familiar with who Tom Hardy Hardy was and more importantly with what he looked like. So if your first exposure to him was Bronson, you were kind of like, is this who this guy is? Like, does he have a mustache? Is he bald? Is he jacked? Like, I don't even know who we're talking about here. It wasn't like he had like 10 years of notable roles and then did the transformation. This was a lot of people's introduction to him. So it was pretty confusing the years to come afterwards.
2: Yeah. It didn't happen right away, which is, you know, an entree into a conversation about the next movie, which is thick as thieves, which is a movie I haven't seen. I don't know if either of you guys have seen it, but, um, it's directed by Mimi Leder, who uh, obviously has directed a lot of notable movies and t v shows over the years, including I believe she was a part of the morning show most recently yeah um yes and this movie stars uh Morgan Freeman and Antonio Banderas and tom hardy and and i've I've never heard of it, so it's that's the thing about Tom Hardy is it didn't happen immediately after bronson it didn't happen immediately after black hawk down it didn't you know he he was compiling this cv over this course of 10 years and he would take on big roles but sometimes movies just appear and they've clearly been funded by um oligarchs and arms dealers and <laughs> they don't find the right distribution houses and then you can find them on the IMDb, but you can't find them out in the world. I'm sure "Thickest Thieves" is available on streaming services and Apple and whatnot. But um, if it's if we've missed out on this in any way by not having seen it, please let us know. I, I uh, do
1: love those action movies where it's like you know produced by this person in conjunction with and and also with this Peruvian copper mine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a tried and true thing. So pretty much after "Thickest Thieves." shit gets very real for Tom Hardy in terms of the American consciousness his first significantly big part in a mainstream movie Inception is Inception now,
1: before you bother telling me it's impossible I mean, no it's so. perfectly possible it's just bloody difficult interesting So Arthur keeps telling me it can't be done <clears throat> Arthur you still working with that stick in the well, night? he is good at what he does right oh he's the best but he has no okay. imagination not like you Listen, if you're going to perform Inception, you need imagination.
2: Amanda, you, you love Hardy in and Inception. Why? Have you
0: done it before? This is peak Tom Hardy for me. And I think it's because I had not seen any of the movies. Well, I had seen Marie Antoinette, but he's not a big deal. But I hadn't seen any of the movies we discussed before Inception. And I just have a vivid, I remember being like, who is that? Who is that person? And it is the charisma that I'm talking about. This is m- his most like straightforward, charming, dry. He doesn't talk too much, but everything that he says is funny, complete confidence, and steals every scene, I think, that you're in. You know, I was texting Chris about this movie last night because I was rewatching it, and I said some rude things about some other performances in this movie. I don't think that we need to Speak name on it. Chris. No,
1: this is such a safe space. <laughs> no, it's not.
0: I just at one point I was like, is is Leo bad in this movie? And I don't think that's fair. And I think some of it is because Leo is being asked to deliver the pop psychology of Inception, which I have to tell you, like Chris Ryan, I I saw this movie in theaters the first time, and my mind was blown. I loved it. I was, this is incredible. It, I was at Court Street theaters and just walked out, being like, "Is it real? I don't know." <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> do I do that a lot? <laughs> no, I. You know, I was just trying to. I feel like that's the the Chris Nolan the reaction in general, and I was trying to be of the people. Uh, rewatching it at home, this, some of the. Um, assumptions and the leaps in the movie become a little more apparent and that's okay. You know, that's okay. Movies have their places. It's maybe not a like watch at home with your thinking cap on type of movie, but Tom Hardy can sell the nonsense and in a way that no one else can. And it just, it makes it more effective. I, I wish he were like Eames more often just because yes. I enjoy watching it.
1: I have a pet theory that after DiCaprio and Hardy did the, like the Morocco uh, scene together, DiCaprio turned to Nolan and was like, no more scenes with that guy. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I did not sign up to be on the bottom of a slam dunk poster. <laughs> That's how good he is. He's like, he's on screen for eight minutes, and you're just like, the movie should be about this dude. The movie should That's- be about the fixer in North Africa who's rolling through the dream world. Yeah. And and
0: you're just like, yes, I can incept people with their dreams. You know, everyone (laughs) else. It's like, did you remember that Ellen Page's character's name is Ariadne? Like, what is going on in this movie? But then... Tom Hardy shows up and you're just like, oh, this does make a lot of sense. We really can manipulate (laughs) psychologies. Yes.
2: It's also it's a performance that feels like it's part of this long lineage of British character actor movie stars. He described this as an old Graham Greene type diplomat, sort of faded, shabby grandeur. And, you know, it's he's doing Alec Guinness. You know, he's doing David Niven, like he's doing a very specific like you know, hello, darling, like calling men, darling and Trevor and Howard. Being, yeah, yeah. Trevor being flamboyant, yeah. but but masculine at the same time and being cunning and the smartest person in the room. And I, I mean, I agree with everything that you guys said. I he just walks away with the movie. And, you know, I, I'm proud to have been a, a part of the the most hated episode of the Rewatchables ever in which we completely dissected and and destroyed Inception. I, I, re, I don't think it works like as a movie at all. The second time you watch it. But that doesn't mean there can't be great things in it. And he, to me, is the greatest part about it.
0: That's true. Sean, I'm with you. Last night, I also sent Chris the greatest meme ever created, which is the meme of uh, Leo talking to Killian Murphy in it. And it's just like... Leo says, you know, I'm going to steal and invade dreams in order to get my kids back. And then the Killian Murphy is like, why doesn't Michael Caine just fly her kids to France? And then Leo just like <laughs> making the like confused Inception space, space you know, yeah. just like, mm. yeah, but it, shout out Tom Hardy.
2: It's a movie with enormous style and great performances. And Chris Nolan is, is expert at doing that. Not always expert at making the logic of his films work, but that's okay. Inception has to go into the Tom Hardy Hall of Fame happily right guys yes yes okay tinker Taylor, soldier spy interesting one got a couple of uh Le Carre heads here we've got um a long awaited film adaptation of arguably the most is it the most famous spy novel of all time chris i think it's widely considered to be the best this movie when i went into it i don't i had not read any lecarre i don't I, the, the spy you know genre is something that i like but i don't feel expert in at all and I remember really loving this movie, but I don't remember if I've spoken in both of you about how you feel about it and, and the part that Hardy plays. So maybe just a little pocket review. Amanda, what do you what do you make of Tinker Tailor?
0: Thanks so much for asking, because earlier this year I read Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and then I watched both the 70s BBC miniseries and the 2012 movie. So I feel very equipped to give my review, which is that I think Tom Hardy is one of the better parts of this movie. Um, I, I like this movie. I think that having read the book, it just it, like it's confusing and it doesn't totally explain everything that's going on. I mean, you know, spying is hard, so that's fine. But I think everyone plays their coldness and their Britishness and their calculating and the shifting political and tensions and the betrayal very well. And you need an emotional center. And Tom Hardy's character is that, and he he does it very well. And the movie needs that. And also Tom Hardy, soon after this, does start drifting away from the characters actually showing you emotion. So I like it for I like this performance for that as well. I just think we also really have to award credit for bravery in wigs and coats. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the wig gets in a, a little bit in my way. Uh, <laughs> The character of Ricky in the book, and I I usually am not a but it's in the but in the book, it's like this guy. But the the character of Ricky in the in the LaCare novel is the point in the novel where you're like, oh shit, this is really great. Cause he shows up and becomes the new narrator, basically, uh, and explains starts to explain why there's urgency around this whole situation rather than it just being this feeling that people have that things have been kind of going wrong for a little while. Uh I I do find his wig. It just feels like we we need to be further along in wig tech, you know, at this point. <laughs> but, I feel that way still to I this mean, day. Like we we have avatar. So, could we get this and and it's also like Tom Hardy has hair and in the book it isn't like he's got a specific hairstyle, so it always really threw me off that they were like, "Huh?" Got this super charming guy who's like perfect for the character of Ricky and Tinker. Let's put him in a fucked up Peugeot salesman outfit. But,
0: but the, Ricky isn't supposed to be like Eames. He's not supposed to be super charming. He's not supposed to be con- in control of everything. He is kind of he is as much like a. These are the consequences of this fucked up spy game that right. you guys are all playing. Right. So he needs to be a little goofy.
1: Sure, but. He can still, he could still okay. the hair. The hair part jumps out. Uh, that being said, he's very good in this film, and even though I have always enjoyed this movie visually, but felt like it was basically like the the kind of like watered down version of Tinker Tailor. Uh, I, I highly recommend it, and I highly recommend
2: his performance. One question for you: In the novel, does it say that Ricky Tar wears a live fox on his head? <laughs> but you know this is is, this is good
1: this is good training for all the hardy roles to come because pretty much all of them have some kind of choice where you're like i have either i will either go with this the mask the accent the the weight gain the weight loss the hair choice whatever or i will stop at stop at the entrance way should we put it
2: in or not
0: I was like coming into this podcast I was going to be really hot like yes like I actually really like this performance but I maybe I just kind of talked myself out of it.
1: I think it's Chris? I think I think it's on the outer ring. I think yeah. t- for me it's yeah. it's on the outer ring. It's it's like if you've completed the 10 that are really on the in- inner circle then you
2: can hit hit Tinker Taylor. Okay, we'll come back to it then. I'll 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 give it a nod for the moment but maybe it's on the chopping block when we return. The next film is 2011's Warrior. What the hell happened over there,
0: Tommy? That is none of your business,
2: man. Oh, come on, kid. You know, I've been there. I've done it. I've
0: seen
1: it. You can
2: trust me. I understand.
1: Will you spare me the compassionate father routine
2: pop. The suit don't fit. Listeners of this podcast will know that Warrior is the best sports movie of the 2010s and really one of the most underrated movies of the last decade. Uh, we talked about it a little bit when we talked about the way back and the the sad bro centric dramas of Gavin O'Connor. Um, you know, this is a movie about two brothers, estranged brothers, who uh, are both fascinated by mixed martial arts. And their father, played by Nick Nolte, the two brothers are played by Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. Uh, this is I I actually remember it as one of the most exciting and emotional movie experiences I've had in in my adult life. And I don't even totally understand what it was that I was relating to in this movie. But it's an extraordinary performance by Hardy, who has fewer than twenty lines of dialogue and is just a almost like a like a killing machine. He's just this an impressive physical force, and I feel like we keep pointing out different aspects of his acting style that he is going to a, adopt for some future performance and this feels like bronson plus something else i don't i'm not quite sure what um it's like bronson minus the dialogue you know he's just this 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 brutal force um i I really i really like this movie i think it's really like some of his best work I don't know. Chris, what do you what do you think of Warrior? Uh
1: I mean, he's like he'll make your cells explode watching watching him in this movie. He's like throwing fire hydrants around. Like it's it's such an incredible physical performance. He's so he's just such a raw open wound of a character in this movie and and doesn't do it with a lot of dialogue like you said. It's just like he's so vulnerable too, which is sort of uncommon for these it's like kind of sports movies. I mean, often you'll have like that'll be the end point, but his character in Warrior is all is all open and 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 kind of raw. I, I love him in this.
0: Vulnerable is the word that I was gonna use. And he's like really extremely moving in this while also being it being such a physical performance. And I I think he's so good at it. And I value this performance because he does seem to inch away from that vulnerability a bit as the career goes on.
1: Also, yeah, really nice true. job balancing out. So, like, this is a, a very good example of if you've got Tom Hardy in the movie, what else do you do? And you kind of need a Joel Edgerton to, to make the donuts throughout the movie. And, and sometimes people don't do that. Sometimes they're like, let's have 15 crazy actors in this movie. Like, let's put Shia LaBeouf in it. Who cares? And it, it, you've got to have it where it's like, Joel Edgerton's going to show up in every scene and actually say the dialogue.
2: Chris, do you want to take 60 seconds to vamp on your boy Edgerton? this is really one of your guys
1: that see this is this is a classic fantasy move because why don't you fucking vamp on edgerton <laughs>
2: um i i i think joel edgerton is a perfectly fine actor who and i think all of the films that he's appeared in would be uh significantly upgraded if he was just replaced by hugh jackman in all of them <laughs> <laughs> Picture every Joel Edgerton movie, but with Hugh Jackman.
0: I, I do not think that Warrior would be improved by Hugh Jackman, an actor that I respect very much.
2: Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, imagine Wolverine and, and, and Eames toe-to-toe in the octagon. Who says no? Oh,
1: is this okay. the deepest concentric circle of big picture? When we start having like incredibly hot Edgerton takes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, this is what we care about. This is why we're doing this in the first place. Warrior is definitely going in the, in the Tom Hardy Hall of Fame. Uh, the next movie is This Means War, which is a movie I can hardly remember, but I know Amanda has a lot of feelings about. Amanda, can you remind people what This Means War was and whether it belongs here?
0: So I've seen this movie. I made a lot of jokes to you guys on Slack about it. And I'm realizing now that I did not read the Wikipedia page to refresh (laughs) myself on the plot (laughs) of This Means War. I do this all the time.
1: So so (laughs) it's
0: just going to (laughs) be... It's just going to be what I remember. I have a take anyway, because you know what? I'm a professional. So it is a romantic comedy starring Reese Witherspoon, uh, Tom Hardy and Chris Pine. And there it's a love triangle. They are both vying for the interest of uh, Reese Witherspoon and they are both somehow spies. Um, And there is some, quite frankly, problematic surveillance going um, on Reese Witherspoon while they're both trying to date her. Uh, I couldn't tell you why. I seem to recall that she is some sort of entrepreneur and she's friends with Chelsea Handler in the movie. Anyway, not a successful romantic comedy. Here's the thing. It should have just been a romantic comedy between Tom Hardy and Chris Pine. They have tremendous chemistry. Just put those two guys in a romantic comedy. I I love Reese. I question some of the decisions she's made in the last 18 months, but I'm always on her team. I just don't think she needed to be in this one. The end
1: the Amanda Dobbins Chris Ryan memorial I have a strong take on a movie that I barely remember is is (laughs) we could start an offshoot if you wanted to like a sub pod of just like I I think I remember reading about this on Vulture in 2014 but here here comes 20 minutes on it uh I also remember <laughs> this true. this means war was like a pretty hot script. Like I remember like when yes. it was like getting made, people were like all of Hollywood has gone out for the, the two male leads in this, in this, in this movie and it just being absolute crickets when it came out. Um, And I wonder whether or not the process of making this, like if Tom Hardy after, I mean, do you, I, I honestly haven't seen this probably since it was first on cable. Like did, is Hardy any good in this?
0: He's very charming. If may I spoil this means war? I am confident in the ending. Please, actually, I'm like ninety percent <laughs> confident. But I, I think that Reese Witherspoon ends up with Chris Pine, so he doesn't even get the get the girl. So he's kind of like the the third wheel type person. But he's perfectly charismatic. I'm sure this is why he'll never do a romantic comedy again. I think he'd be very good at it.
2: Yeah, I I don't even remember watching this movie, even though I think I did. I do think it features two of the best character names I've seen in in recent times, which is uh, Chris Pine's character is Franklin FDR Foster and Tom Hardy's character is Tuck Hansen. So, I, wish, I wish this movie had come out when Big Picture was going. I, will, I think you guys would have had a good time with this.
0: I will say I rewatched a couple of clips and like Reese Witherspoon does call Chris Pine FDR. She, like at one point they all meet at dinner and she's like, Tuck, this is FDR. FDR, this is Tuck. I mean, this is why this movie didn't work. But anyway.
2: Incredible stuff. I'll be naming my firstborn or my first dog, Tuck Hansen. <laughs> um, is, is this means we're in or out? out? It's out. Okay, it's out. The next movie is the most important movie we'll be talking about here. It's called The Dark Knight Rises. This... This is the instrument of your liberation. Uh, this is the third film in the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. I am the League of Shadows.
1: I am here to fulfill Ra's al Ghul's destiny. It doesn't matter who we are. What matters is our plan.
0: And do you accept this man's resignation?
1: No one cared who I was till I put on the mask. Do you feel in charge?
2: Um, I don't know what to say about it. Chris, you revisited this film for this podcast. What is your takeaway from it?
1: Guys, guys, guys. Holy shit. Dark Knight Rises. (laughs) Here's some stuff I forgot about Dark Knight Rises. Originally, the script was 400 pages long. (laughs) <laughs> and it was heavily influenced by Tale of Two Cities. Uh, Senator Patrick Leahy is in this movie, in which he and is in a scene where he acts with Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelssohn took all the restrictor plates off his performance as Daggett. He is unbelievable in this. Uh, this, this. The plot makes no sense at all, like at all. And it is all, all, all plot, all exposition. And I think Bane is one of the craziest things that's happened in pop culture in this century. Like <laughs> I think we are underrating how fucking crazy Bane is. And Sean, you, I, I don't want to steal this because you are the one who cited this first. You're the one who inspired me to rewatch the whole movie. The cold open of Dark Knight Rises with Aiden Gillen being like, I'm CIA! Where's Bane? <laughs> and Bane being like, right here? On a plane? <laughs> And then they break the plane in half and Bane like shoots two guys, but like leaves one of his boys in the plane because he's like, someone's got to be in the plane when it crashes. And then he jumps out of the plane and Heinz Ward is in this movie. <laughs> I, it's just like we all were like, yeah, let's go to Dark Knight Rises like three times. Let's try to fucking figure it out, man. And it, I can't believe it happened. I can't believe they made this movie. I can't believe like three weeks before it came out, Christopher Nolan was like, oh shit, no one could understand what Tom Hardy says. and had to remix the movie. It is so wild. And yet also, honestly, very rewatchable. Like I found it completely entertaining.
2: It's one of the best examples of a director being high on his own supply. Yeah. You know, after the success of The Dark Knight and Inception, Nolan is like, "I am, I am Kubrick with the keys to DC. I can do whatever I want with any of this stuff. And he turns a Batman movie into an Occupy Wall Street movie. Yeah, And Anne Hathaway invents Chapo Trap House in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's incredible. And just for the sake of hearty purposes, yeah. the Bane performance is hilarious. It's like effective. He is huge in this movie, even bigger than he is in Warrior and very intimidating and very believable to the character of Bane, who in the comic books famously breaks Batman's back and paralyzes him. And he's like imposing, but he is using this voice, which has been redubbed, as you said, Chris, that is almost like um, it's like a mutant dandy, you know? The 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 the, the Britishness of his he voice. It,
1: he based it off of like the the like the kind of rogues gallery of Dickens novels. He was like, oh yeah, this is like the the urchin, urchin King, you know, <laughs> selling, selling blacksmith oil out of the back of a shop or something. But also, it works for the League of Shadows. Also, Bane has like no fewer than eight monologues in this movie.
2: <laughs> Amanda, are you in on Bane?
0: So, let me be real. I remember very little of what happens in Dark Knight Rises. I essentially remember uh, it's Occupy Wall Street. And then I remember at the end, they're at a cafe. And then I (laughs) and I don't know anything about Bane. I love this. I think he's so good. I only watched the YouTube speeches of which there are about 15. And you're just like, oh, my God, another one popped up on related videos. Here I go. So I think I probably watched an hour of the Dark Knight Rises. And it's just Tom Hardy doing Bane as basically to call back um Sean Connery in Hunt for Red October. Yeah. He's just like, I am, I don't even know what he says. I am Gotham's Reckoning. Just like yes. as loud as can be, is that one of them? I mean, how many preposterous things does he have to say about but who? Every he is? time you
1: think it's going to be a Braveheart speech, he's like, I am Gotham's Reckoning. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like but a it's drunk so- guy doing Yoda at a pub in yeah. East London.
0: But it's so it's funny and it's but it's so funny and weird that it is kind of unnerving I, like and I do. And there is his physical presence again. And I think they're just kind of like, well, he's going to be weird. So we're going with it. It's definitely the best part of this movie.
2: Imagine being Tom Hardy and you get the script for Dark Knight Rises and there's a sentence in the in the piece that says, I am the League of Shadows and I'm here to fulfill Ra's al Ghul's <laughs> destiny. What is happening?
1: there's you're like a this
2: shit all the time
0: what are you talking about there's like
1: a whole hour of this movie because like you know how sometimes if you're rewatching something and you're kind of like looking at the the remaining few minutes <laughs> there's like an hour left in the movie and christian bale is still in prison in afghanistan and you're like doesn't he have to go back and fight bane and then there's like the whole mary until thing and then they have to like fix like all the bombs that are supposed to go off and there's only like 45 minutes left and he's still trying to climb out of this tunnel where dudes are chanting rise and telling him the story of the mercenary and the, the, the child and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's wild. I remember when this movie got announced and everybody was like, is it going to be the Riddler? Is it going to be the Penguin? Is it going to be... And they were like, no, Bane. And I was like, who's Bane? I don't know who that is. And... <laughs> <laughs> But it honestly is is like I you you look back longingly on uncomplicated moments of pure joy and uh, and and the emergence of Bane as a thing. I, I just me and my friends uh, of who I count you guys as two of my closest. I was say, which friends? We love Bane. Like we just loved the fact yes. that Bane happened. Yes. The
2: truth is the only reason I wanted to do this episode was so that we could talk about Bane. I just think <laughs> And if we got to do a spin-off Bane series, we'll do it here on the Big Picture because and and frankly, we got to hear from the people. If the people, much like Occupy, want to rise up and transform the Big Picture into a Bane pod, we'll do it. We'll do it again. Amanda, I'll you know, I'll rewatch the movie. Glenn Powell is in Dark Knight Rises.
0: I know that's one of the things I rewatched because he gets thrown around <laughs> by Tom Hardy yeah. on the on the floor of the trading floor, or whatever. And Glenn Powell has to be like, "This is trade the trading floor. We don't have money here." And, and Tom Hardy gets, goes, "Then yeah. why are you here, <laughs>
2: <laughs> guys?" It's the floor of the Gotham Stock Exchange. I'll have you know.
0: Oh sure, of course.
2: Uh, the Dark Knight Rises goes directly into the top wing of the, the Tom one. Hardy Hall of Fame. It is um, just a, a marvelous performance and an absolutely ridiculous movie. Next movie, Lawless. Everybody remember Lawless? Do you remember yeah. the Halcyon days of Annapurna when, when mm-hmm. Megan Ellison's company was giving money to exciting young filmmakers left and right? Catherine Bigelow, she got a movie. Spike Jones he got a movie. Paul Thomas Anderson, he got a movie. And John Hillcoat also got a movie. John Hillcoat, who was the director of a very cool Australian Western called The Proposition, and then he directed the adaptation of The Road, the Cormac McCarthy novel. And his follow-up to that was an adaptation of The Wettest County in the World, a novel by Matt Bondurant, that before it came out, I was convinced would be probably the greatest film ever made, uh, just based on the setting and the kind of story that it was and the run that Anna Annapurna was on and the cast, which includes... Shia LaBeouf, Tom Hardy, Jessica Chastain, Gary Oldman, Jason Clarke, Guy Pearce, Mia Dane and Dane DeHaan. And um, Lawless is not the greatest movie of all time, sadly. Any 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 re- memories or reflections of Lawless?
0: I'll be honest. I just remembered it. I thought you guys all really liked this. But that's like, honestly, m- my memory of this movie is like, we, oh, I think- We definitely
1: the- pretended to, for all sure. All those guys yeah. liked
0: this. Okay. <laughs> Well, congratulations on being honest now.
1: Doesn't Tom Hardy get his throat slit early in this movie and talk like not be able to talk for most of it? I think that's accurate. Yes. Also
2: notable is that Shia LaBeouf is widely believed to have been completely intoxicated throughout the entire making of this film (laughs) in a method performance about a, you know, a bootlegger. Um, So that's tough. It's, It's okay. It's like it's not bad there's some committed performances guy pierce i think uh ha- like shaves back his hairline and shaves his eyebrows yeah is it
1: pierce or oldman does the eyebrow thing i think your guy think pierce. It's pierce i think you're right yeah uh
2: i don't know should, it, should it, i do that Yeah. sort of yeah
1: you really have shave very, your eyebrows i don't have very like dark eyebrows in the first place so no, i no like...
0: don't sh- don't shave your eyebrows they don't grow I'll back do, the way you i'll want do them it
1: to. i will do it for the bane pod for charity i will shave my <laughs>
2: eyebrows so, so next week on the bane pod you will drink your own urine and shave your eyebrows and only speak as bane <laughs> wow this is gonna be some good podcasting uh i don't think lawless goes into the hall of fame would you guys agree i agree
0: i agree
2: the next movie is 2013's lock, lock movie yes. that i like a lot
1: i won't be back for the match i'll uh, i'll have to listen to it on the radio dad you said you'd be back it's rubbish on the radio
2: mom's doing sausages and all. yes it takes place entirely in a car and hardy plays a welsh concrete magnate um a man who is responsible for what is frequently identified as the poor during this film he's a guy who's going through some emotional turmoil some struggles with his family and with his business and it takes place in real time during a, a late night drive I seem to recall being immensely moved by this movie that takes place in a car. I have not revisited it since it came out though. What do you guys remember about lock? Uh, I love lock. It, it, incredible accent work. This is actually, I think legitimately a
1: good Welsh accent to the extent that a man from Philadelphia who now lives in Los Angeles is allowed to evaluate those things. Um, I would also say it's worth noting that this marks uh, one of the first significant collaborations between Hardy and Stephen Knight. And they, go on to kind of be in each other's orbit a lot over the years, especially with making Taboo um, a couple of years later. Locke is just such a strange movie. And it, it's weird. Tom Hardy definitely seems like he has the goods on somebody where they're like, yeah, so we want to make a movie It's set entirely in a car about a guy who's mostly talking about um, whether or not a concrete job is working out. And you are like, yeah. And they're like, but Tom Hardy's going to be in it. And they're like, take my money. Let's do it. And I, I don't understand how these movies keep getting made like that. But this movie is just like strangely affecting. I, I too had an emotional reaction to it, Sean. There's a lot of talking to the, like the ghost of your father in the back seat going on. Although I don't think the dad ever appears. It's just Tom Hardy talking to an empty back seat and a lot of uh, Bluetooth phone calls. Man,
0: I like this movie, and it is. I mean, it's that classic movie star thing of can you just carry a movie the entire time? Um, and and Tom Hardy can. And I again, it's he's not wearing a mask that I recall. Um, And the accent is is good. But this is also when it starts to be like the when you get the stunt aspect to Tom Hardy's career and kind of like this is the movie. It's the one where he's in a car the entire time. And then there's like the one where he plays twins and the one where he you know, he wears a mask, which is like five of them. And so I don't want to hold that against this particular movie, but I just wanted to identify the turning point. This is when I realized I was like, oh, you're you're just going to be doing this now. You're going to be trying a lot of things and trying things is great, but this is the turning point.
2: I agree with that. It's a good point. One of the fun takeaways from just revisiting some scenes is I was reminded of the all star cast of people on the other end of the phone. I'm not sure if you guys remember who some of those voices were, but Olivia Coleman is on isn't appears in this film ruth wilson appears in this film andrew scott the hot priest appears in this film and playing his son is is young tom holland great stuff so we're putting i'm putting lock in i would put lock in yeah next is the drop which is uh a movie about brooklyn full of british people which is an interesting (laughs) (laughs) aspect of the scandinavian people basically (laughs) (laughs) yeah um in the drop, uh, which is uh, you know sort of a crime drama, but mostly seen through the eyes of a regular guy, um, Tom Hardy plays Bob Saganowski, a bartender uh, in a local Brooklyn bar, and he has some run-ins with some Chechen mobsters, and he falls in love with Numi Rapace. Remember when Numi Rapace was a
1: thing? Just a, mm-hmm. just a just a girl from the block, Numi Rapace, <laughs> classic Brooklyn chick. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Jeez>. um, <laughs> I I seem to recall liking this movie too. It's another movie that I've not revisited, but it is in league with what Amanda was just describing, which is the sort of aggressive over transformation from British dandy to hang dog uh, Brooklyn, Brooklynite. Um, It's a good film. It's a small film, especially given where Hardy had been putting a lot of his attention prior to this. It felt like he basically needed a come down after the inception Tinker Taylor warrior, this Means War, Dark Knight Rises lawless run of like I'm going for it and only appearing in big ticket productions. He takes on Locke and The Drop and Child 44 to some extent after this to sort of, I don't know, to, almost like to reset, you know, to try some new things. Um, I'm not sure if The Drop is really worthy of it, but Chris, I know you like this movie. I do. I like Drop a lot. Written
1: by Dennis a uh, Really good James Gandolfini performance in this and it has one of my like, it, it, a really like incredible piece. Uh, towards the end of the film, I don't want to spoil what happens, but there's a great scene between Math- Matthias Schoenhardt's, uh, New pass and Tom Hardy in a bar where Hardy gives like a really cool monologue. Um, I I think it's one of his more understated performances, even though he's trying very hard to be a Brooklyn guy.
2: In or out, Chris? In. Okay, we're 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 running up the numbers here. This is going to be problematic. Twenty fifteen's Child Forty Four. I feel like we can safely skip. Um, too bad that was really
1: f- a Richard Price script there's a lot of really good people in there the movie just sucked
2: it just didn't work out well, it's funny that happens sometimes you know. Like, that's the other thing about Hardy is he seems to have good taste even when the films don't totally work out and I would say that some of these films that are coming up here didn't totally work out one movie that did totally work out is Mad Max Fury Road Max my name is Max I don't know if Tom Hardy gets a lot of the credit for that when I revisit the movie I certainly don't think of him even though he is that title character. Amanda, would you make a case for Hardy's work in the movie?
0: Yes, it doesn't work without him if you have someone who is scene-stealing, which he, you know, funny enough, as we've talked about, he often does. But if someone's not going with the flow of the movie or just being bad, then it doesn't work. If you have, say, Mel Gibson in it, it's a different movie. So you just have to put him in there because there is skill in in fitting in and making your own choices within like a larger successful movie. I think also, if you haven't read that oral history, it is worth um, reading just for how grueling it was for everyone and how Tom Hardy has reflected on his own performance and participation in the production, which uh, which I think is interesting. And uh, he has apologized to everyone for a lot of his behavior on the set. Um, But it seemed like it was grueling, but also uh, worth it to everyone involved. So you got to give it to him.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's in that oral history. They talk about, I think Zoe Kravitz talks about having done a chemistry with Jeremy Renner, um, to be in that part. Obviously it had originally been what they had originally tried to mount it. It was going to be Mel Gibson. Um, he has a very kinetic energy that perfectly matches the way that George Miller made the movie, whether that was on purpose or not. I don't know, but they talk a lot about how they shot that film in just like these little bite-sized pieces. Like there weren't like they went through a scene and did it. they were like you're gonna you're gonna do you're gonna act for eight seconds here while we throw a camera off a truck. um and that that almost seems to suit him. you know, I, I wonder what what it would look like if it was made more like Road Warrior, where it's a little bit more like a classical western style filmmaking.
2: Yeah, I think he gives a great performance, but the story of that movie is 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 the filmmaking and Charlize. You know, mm-hmm. those are really the two major takeaways from it. But it, picking good projects is a big part of being worthy of a Hall of Fame. And this is absolutely probably the best action movie of the 2010s. So it's, it's rarefied air.
0: It would just also be really dumb if we didn't put it in the Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah, agree. Also, a nice mask corrective here. You know, he's made some bad mask movies. This is one of the great mask movies.
2: 2015's Legend is next. Legend is a portrait of the Cray brothers, the very famous British gangsters. And Tom Hardy, as Amanda alluded to, plays both brothers, these these um, these nefarious characters in, in England's history. And this is a very stylized, very obvious kind of a movie. I think it's directed by Brian Helgeland, who is a, a longtime screenwriter and has directed a handful of films. And I remember thinking that this movie is perfectly fine and a little bit rote. But that Hardy is doing something pretty impressive because the brothers are two very different kinds of figures, even though they are clearly related. The the ticks and the, the troubles that they're experiencing are very different. So this just seemed I think a lot of his movies, one of the hallmarks of them is that he always seems to be giving a very effortful performance. You know, he's the kind of person who you can really like feel the sweat on him at the end of the movie as opposed to. I don't know who, who who's like a much more like Brad Pitt is a very graceful kind of actor. You never really feel him acting or trying to do something or transform. Hardy is in that really like that bare knuckled, like watch me bend my body into into this performance. Um, but I don't I just don't love this movie. I don't know how you guys feel about it. I
1: don't acknowledge movies where one actor plays twins. What?
0: Wow. Why?
1: Well, there's a really good 1990 movie called The Craze where a pair of brothers actually play the craze. So I, and it's, 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 I think better than, than this film, but I just find it like really like distracting to to see. I don't know why I can't get get my head around it when I see two James Francos in the deuce or whatever. Like I, I always kind of find it like I'm hung up on it.
0: Will you make an exception for the social network? I understand that there was some after effects that were... I don't made. mind
1: it when they're in the background of a movie somewhat. I okay. do mind it when it's like the whole selling point is the remarkable job this person is doing playing two people.
2: This is okay. a pretty controversial take. This takes a couple of really great movies off the board, Chris. Like what? This takes Dead Ringers off the board The Jeremy Irons film. I can takes live adapta- it. Takes adaptation off the board.
1: Oh, yeah. Now, I'm not a big adaptation guy.
2: Wow.
0: I love I love adaptation, but I understand what Chris is saying and that's why I'm kind of... In the context of Tom Hardy, I'm hesitant to put this on the list because, like, that's the thing. It's like, oh, he's playing both of them, and I know that he can play like two criminals in different ways. I like have seen the rest of Tom Hardy's movies. He can bring pathos and like lots of different textures. So, I the the I'll try this kind of gets in the way of the rest of the movie for me.
1: This guy clearly loves like classical gangsters, though, man. Like he plays them a bunch. It's true, Chris. Wait,
2: are you out on all iterations of the Parent Trap?
1: Yes. Wow. Yes.
2: Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you this: Are you out on the 1980s comedy Twins? Well, they're not played by the same actor. They're not. And that's my thing is
1: I would make an exception if Christopher Nolan wanted to make what if Bane had a twin and Tom <laughs> Hardy was Bane and then he had a twin brother named like Maine and but Maine was just like a norm, a normal guy.
0: <laughs> How yeah. would he speak normally, or would he yeah? Speak totally the everything same way. about it would
1: be like he'd, oh, be, like, he'd okay. be like Ames from Inception, and then okay. his brother was Bane.
2: Bane and Ames. Who says no? Certainly not me. I- <laughs> uh, we do say no to Legend in the Hall of Fame, though. Next up is a movie that I referenced earlier in this conversation, The Revenant, which I I don't is couldn't tom hardy's character have been played by any number of characters this kind of feral villain character i think fitzgerald is that the name of his character um i i it's nice that there's a leo reunion and maybe leo gets to settle the score after tom hardy eats his lunch in inception in this movie and leo gets to ride off into the distance with an oscar here something that tom hardy has not received but i I'm not sure that this is the most memorable Tom Hardy performance of all time, but I'm also not the biggest fan of the Revenant. And I know a lot of people do love that movie. What do you guys think?
0: I agree with you, but I'm also not a huge fan of the Revenant. Yeah. I
2: think, I I think like, like you said, like it's like the fifth or
1: sixth most interesting thing about the Revenant is Tom Hardy being in it, which is saying a lot because Tom Hardy is usually pretty high up there.
2: Ironically, uh, Hardy was nominated for an Oscar for this movie. It's his only Oscar nomination. Um, He also, like so many people we talk about on the show, strikes me as the kind of guy who, when he's 62 and makes like a pretty bad movie, is going to get recognized for his incredible body of work. But you know, they weren't able to do so when, I don't know, Locke came out or Warrior or any of the other films that are really a big part of this Hall of Fame. So we're saying no to The Revenant, despite the fact that it features his Academy Award nomination, or do we have to put it in for you know, points of order purposes.
0: I just counted and we already have 10 and we have a few more films to discuss. So I think if no one is excited about it, it's our own hall of fame.
2: Yeah. I this think feels we like it feels like this feels like the saving private Ryan of of this, of this hall of fame. I can feel, I can already feel the heat coming for us. That's okay. Let's keep moving. We've got, don't let anybody tell you discuss. how to think, man. Come on. Did you learn that from Selena Kyle from <laughs> the Chapo trap house of dark Knight rises?
1: <laughs> <laughs> a storm is coming.
2: Uh, the next film is Dunkirk, a movie that I know you both love and that I was dubious on for a long time and was swayed after doing the rewatchables on. Um, also a, a, a performance largely in a mask um, through a, a, a muffled vocal recording, but also the figure that he represents in the movie is probably the most important thing in the movie. So this kind of feels like a no-brainer, but what, what do you guys think?
0: I was going to insist that we include it. I watched the last scene on the beach before we did this podcast and was very overwhelmed. And, you know, that one shot of him as the the soldiers come in is just like, you can't buy that. Just that the presence and the ability to connect with the audience. It's a plus. We have to put this in.
1: Best line in the movie. My favorite part, my, my favorite storyline of the movie, him and Jack Loudon, uh, most like obvious, like heroist heroism, act of heroism, and just uh, the ability to act with your eyes while also flying a vintage plane. I mean, get the fuck out of here,
2: put him in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Dunkirk goes in. Venom. Here we go. Come on, Venom Eddie. Speak, Sean. It's your time. This is your favorite movie. Um, one thing about Venom is that it rules, It is. <laughs> it, it, it is an absolutely hilarious deeply weird and <laughs> astonishing film and it it deserves all of its success it is simultaneously not really very good at all but in a way i don't care because it is a perfect example of hardy just doing whatever he wants like willing a movie with his weirdness to become interesting and venom is a character who appeals to teenage boys. I certainly as a teenage boy was into the Venom figure in the Spider-Man universe. I don't think that this movie really has very much to do with that universe at all. It does not make an effort to do that. It seems like much more of a playpen for Tom Hardy to talk to himself, even though there's no there are no twins in this movie. He's basically doing id versus superego throughout the whole movie. It's really funny and slapsticky. And I think if it were positioned that way a little bit more clearly, which is clearly what Tom Hardy would interest in him about it, I think it would have a different reputation. I think when people think of it as a violent comic book movie with an alien suit inside of it, they're like, this sounds really dumb. But if you think of it a a lot more in the lineage of, I don't know, Peter Sellers movies, I think it actually does really work well. And I do think that that's kind of what he's after in this movie. Now that there are also crazy, violent special effects in the movie, but Tom Hardy is funny and is strange enough to sell shit like this. And I just think it's all about how you see it. I'm sure you guys have dissenting opinions on this.
1: I think Venom is is a great film about journalism. You know? uh, (laughs) Eddie Eddie Brock taught me it was okay to be weird. I don't know what you want me to say. You know what the best thing in the fucking world is? Is when you look at Tom Hardy's 2017 through 2021, and it's just... Star Wars Last Jedi deleted scene as a robot or as like a stormtrooper. <laughs> Vet 2018 Venom 2020 Capone 2021 Venom colon let there be carnage.
2: What a fucking lord. <laughs> you you, <laughs> skipped, you you skipped one thing. What? Your beloved taboo. Oh yeah, taboo. taboo. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> yeah, James Delaney. Uh do you want to talk about taboo now or should we keep talking about how great Venom is?
2: No, I mean I made my case and my case is 100% bulletproof and it's going in the Hall of Fame. So okay. you can speak on Taboo if you like. Uh Taboo is um really telling.
1: It is a dream project for him. You know, and that is isn't it strange when we get those and you're like, "So this is your dream, huh?" You know, like you you they gave you all the <laughs> all the chips and you cashed them in and you made a a mini series about a bearded guy who comes back to London and basically claims the Dutch East India Trading Company for himself. You know, and it, and it is, I found it to be absolutely fascinating and invigorating to watch, but it is the most acquire, acquired taste of acquired tastes.
2: I couldn't get through 22 minutes of the first episode. Of
0: show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, I didn't even try because I heard Chris give his impassioned Taboo Island speeches and I was like, that's great. Chris has found his thing. And sometimes, and I say this with love, Chris... And I want you to know that I want there to be things in the world for you that you love and enjoy. Uh-huh. But sometimes there's a thing that is like, so Chris Ryan, and I'm just like, okay, I'm good. That's for Chris. <laughs> and I'll go find my thing. Honestly, same for Venom. Still haven't seen it. The number of times that Sean has told me that it came out the same weekend as A Star is Born and that that weekend, October is the most important weekend for studio releases now. Heard it a many, many times. I know what Venom's about. It's nice that you guys have your things. I don't know that there is a case there might be a case for Venom. I don't know if there's a case for Taboo in the Hall of Fame.
1: I think that I think that I'm okay with Taboo staying on Taboo Island. And okay. on Taboo Island we can open up a little gift shop for it, you know, but we don't have to put it <laughs> in the Hall of Fame.
2: I think Amanda needs to watch Venom because in the event that an alien symbiote comes to this country. are you guys going to do a movie swap again? Do it for movie swap. It's a great idea. I'll a- I'll I'll watch Venom again and you watch Venom. And then we just talk about Venom.
0: Cool story. (laughs) It's great. That's how literally every other episode of this podcast works. (laughs) It's fine. I'm glad that you have Venom. The nice thing about Venom was like it was successful. It was a thing. You talk about it. And you guys could have your nice thing. And I didn't really have to enjoy it. And that makes me happy. It does also (laughs) seem just in terms of Tom Hardy uh, being able to do whatever he wants. and then have a movie make a lot of money, it should go in the Hall of Fame. We reward that even if we don't enjoy the content necessarily.
2: Yeah, I think it's the I think it's his sort of biggest standalone hit. You know, Michelle Williams is in that movie, which is an amazing thing to think about. But for the most part, like it is just about Tom Hardy. He's in almost every scene and every moment of the movie, and he carries it in a way that he doesn't even carry Mad Max. Fury. Did he get
1: enough credit for Venom?
2: Well, he's getting it right now. He's a a blessed individual, and he chose to take all that stock that he had and cash out with Capone. And uh, would you say Capone belongs in the Tom Hardy Hall of Fame, guys?
0: No,
1: No,
2: I would not. I don't even think it's a particularly good Tom Hardy performance.
0: I don't either. I've seen it before. I agree
2: with you. I agree with you. So let's go through the films that we've identified here for the Hall of Fame. I think we're going to have to cut a couple. The rules are 10, right? The rules are 10. Number one, Black Hawk Down. Number two, Rock and Rolla. Number three, Bronson. Number four, Inception. Number five, Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. Number six, Warrior. Number seven, The Dark Knight Rises. Number eight, Locke. Number nine, The Drop. Number 10, Mad Max Fury Road. Number 11, Dunkirk. And number 12, Venom. That means we got to cut two movies. This should be pretty easy. Let's cut Blackhawk down.
0: Yeah, I think that's easy.
2: Even though it was his big entry into the business and he worked with Ridley Scott out of the shoot, is, is this, Amanda, is this your favorite part of the Hall of
1: Fame episodes is when Sean all of a sudden gets really defensive about cutting <laughs>
0: <laughs> about things he like didn't two line cameos. I, yeah, <laughs> I am the person who is like, oh, well, we can see. We'll put it in now. Yes, Sean, even in spite of those things, because we have honored like the true breakthrough moment of his career later on in this list.
1: And I hate okay, to say so, this because I, I know that we've been going for a while, but we didn't really do extracurricular activities here, did we? Like we well, didn't what, really do what qualifies fun viral videos that he made with Riz Ahmed during the Venom press tour or Tom Hardy reading children's stories to people on mm-hmm. YouTube or Very
0: classic. Amanda Tom Hardy playing with a puppy, Tom Hardy's My- MySpace photos, um, really any Tom Hardy interview. He's he's pretty good at them. The talk show. There are some talk show roundups that I recommend.
1: Tom Hardy's dad being named Chips. Yeah, that's true.
2: You, would you like to put that in over Black Hawk Down? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I just thought I'd throw those out there, just to say that there's a lot of other Hardy out there. Okay,
2: fair enough. He he he's a he's a, a figure of um a variety. You know, he's not just confined to the movie screen. He's coming into our homes frequently. I wish that he was just a little bit more present as a celebrity because I get a kick out of him. He's a real prankster. Um, so we'll have take to Black cut Hawk Down. More. So yeah, Black Hawk Down is out. So we'll cut one more movie. Now my instinct is the drop.
0: That's what I was going to push for, but that was a that was a Chris and Sean moment. Is so. layer
2: are layer cake and rock and roll on there? No, just rock just rock, and, rock roll. and roll. Okay, I, man. handsome Bob or Bob Saganowski, Chris. It's up to you. Those are two very meaningful performances to you. Shit,
1: I really like him as handsome Bob, but but Bob Saganowski seems important because he was like, I'll just play a guy. I'm going to go handsome Bob. The word. I'm going to go handsome Bob. You're cutting handsome Bob. No, I'm, I'm keeping handsome Bob because I, okay. I, I, I rewatch, like, is... I watch rock and roll more than I watched the drop.
2: Out goes the drop. We've got 10 films in the hall of fame. How do we feel about this? We literally left out the one Oscar nominated performance here. <laughs> That's okay. It's
0: fine. It's supporting, you know, weird stuff happens in that category. You are the one who
1: made the case. You're, you're the Daniel Caffey of keeping revenant out of this hall of fame.
2: Chris, here's the thing. Much like Bane, I'm just about disrupting the status quo. You know, I just want people to be on their heels at all times. Off your then toes, on your heels.
0: Then it's great that we don't include the Oscar-nominated performance. That's disrupting the status quo. There you go.
2: Have you guys seen Venom? Oh, Venom! You think the darkness is your arrow? <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what an am- amazingly uh, useful edifice we've constructed here on this podcast today Uh, we need people to know
1: uh, unconditionally we we need to make it very clear that tom hardy we love tom hardy but when you come to the hall of fame there's the nine movies and then there's the bane wing and it's not a it's not a bit we're not joking bane matters
2: right i couldn't have said it better myself
0: bane matters yes
2: i'm so happy to have um a new avatar of greatness for this show. We, we welcome Bane firmly into the big pictures hall of fame with this episode. <laughs> guys, thanks for doing this. Speaking of all of these damned Christopher Nolan movies and, and Bane next week, Amanda and I are going to be talking about probably the most controversial thing happening in the world of movies right now, which is whether or not Nolan's next movie Tenet is actually going to be coming to movie theaters in July. So please tune in next week for that. Thanks to Bobby Wagner. And thanks, of course, Chris and Amanda. We'll see you guys next week.
1: There's no money you could steal. Really? And why are you people here?